We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 99 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show for you guys today. The Gamecocks are headed to Hoover. South Carolina finds a way to win one of three games against Mississippi State is headed to Hoover for the SEC tournament this Tuesday against LSU. Going to break that down in its entirety. Also, Frank Martin and company pick up a huge commitment from a grad transfer. We'll talk about him, break down his game, and what that means for the Carolina basketball program. Also, some news and notes to get to as well, your listener questions, and a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks defensive end Chaz Sutton as we break down his career at South Carolina, including going through the junior college ranks, being part of the winningest senior class in South Carolina history, playing alongside the likes of Javion Clowney, Melvin Ingram, Kelsey Quarles, et cetera, all that and much, much more. Before we get into that, this is a podcast presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far. You guys hear me talk about them all the time. They're the only place I recommend you go for getting your tickets, whether it be to South Carolina Gamecock sporting events, NBA, NHL, NFL, obviously college football. It can be concerts, comedy club events. Does not have to be sports. When you do, go use them. Go download SeatGeek. Use our promo code. That's going to be SPURSUP, S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. They've got a great ticket rating system where they actually rate the tickets for you so you know exactly what you're getting before you click the buy button. You know if you're getting a really, really good deal. You know if you're paying a little bit too much. It's really that simple. Again, go download SeatGeek. Use the promo code SPURSUP and save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. I'm Chris Phillips, your host of the Spurs Up Show. As always, really, really excited to come to you guys this week because the Gamecocks are headed to Hoover, Alabama for the SEC Tournament. South Carolina finding a way to win, do what it needed to do to get to Hoover. South Carolina just wins one of three games against Mississippi State. But Alabama, who South Carolina needed to lose, swept over the weekend at Georgia, therefore giving South Carolina the nod of the 12 seed. Uh, Gamecocks headed to Hoover. It's funny, we talked about this last week, and it's weird to me. It is a little weird to be, I guess, Happy after South Carolina loses yet another SEC series. But overall, Gamecocks did exactly what they needed to do to get in. Gamecocks knew they needed to win a game, um, needed George, obviously, to give them some help, beat Alabama, sweep Alabama. They were able to do that. And South Carolina finishes their regular season 28-27 overall, 8-22 in the conference, which ensures South Carolina um, 
with getting that win on the final day, not only getting to Hoover, but ensures them to not have a losing record on the 2019 season. Hey, when you're looking to find positives in a season that hasn't been good, that's a positive we have to take away. Um, so, again, overall, you know, it's funny. This is a Gamecocks team, a Gamecocks program, really, that has had – I mean, look, let's face it, has had no success in Hoover. I mean, a Gamecocks program that even when South Carolina was winning the national championship, making these great runs in a Ray Tanner – they were just flat out bad in the SEC tournament. I will say for this team, very, very happy for the guys. I know I've said before, half-heartedly, jokingly, if you will, kind of half-joking, half-not, that, you know, who's ready for this season to be over? Because obviously it's been a nightmarish type of season. It's been falling well short of expectations. But overall, from a realistic standpoint, you know, as bad as it has been, I will say I'm very, very happy for the guys in the locker room just to be able to play in some tournament play. I think getting your young guys out there to Hoover, letting them have that experience is very big for South Carolina as well. Um, but I thought Gamecocks, again, in a series where they were very, very undermanned again. Um, South Carolina, obviously, after a very, very rough start on uh, Thursday when the Gamecocks were absolutely pounded by Mississippi State, um, showed resiliency, showed fight, something they've shown all season. Again, I, I never think it's – I don't think anyone's ever questioned with this team it's been about a lack of fight or a lack of spirit or, any, you know, lack of competitiveness, anything like that. It's just simply not having the guys to compete at, a, at that level. Uh, you know, I, obviously the Georgia Bulldogs doing what they did, sweeping Alabama was huge for South Carolina, obviously got them in. But overall, now you have to take on LSU, which Gamecocks will take on LSU Tuesday night in the nightcap of the SEC tournament again on Tuesday night. It's right after the – I believe it's the 4.30 Central game. So, South Carolina, I believe, slated right now. It's estimated they'll, they'll – first pitch for them will be at 9 o'clock, which if, you, if you've ever watched the SEC tournament, these games tend to go much longer for whatever reason. There's extra innings involved. They're very, very close and competitive. So, it's going to be a late night Tuesday night for Gamecock fans because I highly, highly doubt that game actually starts at 9 o'clock. You take a look at the bracket here for South Carolina, what it all means. Again, South Carolina taking on LSU on Tuesday. The Gamecocks, if they were to win, would have to replay Mississippi State, who they just took on this past weekend. Um, from there, it gets kind of obviously dicey. They're on the same side of the bracket as Auburn, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt. Um, you know, overall, you take a look real quick. I'll be breaking down the matchup fully in its entirety once pitching matchups are, are announced on the Daily Crow and have a full breakdown statistically who are guys to watch for. But, again, like I mentioned, you know, the big question is, can South Carolina make any sort of a run in Hoover? Can they even win one game in Hoover really is the question. Um, South Carolina have been historically bad there, like I mentioned. I mean, they have been very, very bad. It's funny. I mean, I, we've had former Gamecock baseball players on this show, you know, and they've talked about the struggles in Hoover. And, you know, I know specifically one interview, I'm not sure if you guys remember way, way back, I had my buddy Forrest Kumis on the show who pitched at South Carolina in 2011, obviously 2012, um, was part of that national championship team in 2011. But overall, you know, he talked about that South Carolina really, you know, I don't know that Hoover is really an advantage for the teams that are, Hoover is built – these postseason tournaments are built for teams like South Carolina that are literally on their last ends, need to find a way to get into the, to the postseason tournament. You know, it's built for those teams like that. It really does nothing for the, for the really good teams that know they're going to be hosting or know they'll be national seeds. And it's kind of more of a, a chore, if anything, is what it seems like and how it came off to me from someone that played on a great team that went to the SEC tournament. But overall, Gamecocks obviously will have to win the entire thing to get into the postseason – no one certainly is predicting that to happen. They would have to win five straight games. LSU is who they'll take on first. LSU, 34-22 and 22 overall, 17-13 and 13 on the season. Obviously, Tigers, one of the best teams, I would say, in the SEC, one of the best probably in the country. Again, if they win, Gamecocks will have to face Mississippi State. I mean, overall, you take a look at the bracket. Um, 
you know, focusing on that LSU game. Because, again, I think it's South Carolina right now cannot even afford to look ahead. It's taking it one game at a time. And simply put to me, the question is, does South Carolina have enough pitching depth? Because in tournaments like this, that's really what it comes down to is, do you have pitching depth? Does, does South Carolina simply even have pitching depth to win one game against LSU? Again, I'm not 100% sure what the, the pitching matchups will be. I'm sure that's something we will find out. Uh, later today, this is dropping on Monday, obviously, so I'm sure that's something we'll find out later today, and obviously I'll come to you guys Tuesday um, before the game on the Daily Crow to talk about the game in its entirety, obviously break down everything with the game, give the statistical breakdown of who to watch for. But overall, it, it's going to be a very tall task for South Carolina to make any sort of run in Hoover. I'll be honest with you, I, I think South Carolina most likely goes one and done. Uh, that's why I wasn't, to be honest, I wasn't going to be completely heartbroken if South Carolina didn't make it to Hoover because I just don't think right now the Gamecocks – you know, they're, they're not set up well by any stretch of the imagination with all the injuries of the pitching staff and just the inconsistencies in the lineup and what have you. Um, but, you know, I am excited. Selfishly, as a South Carolina fan, as a baseball fan, I am excited because I know that in a month or two when, you know, we're in the dog days of summer and there's nothing going on and we're all just counting down the days of football and just waiting on football, we're going to wish we could watch a South Carolina baseball game. So that's what I would tell the, the South Carolina fan that's listening to this, hey, Tune in, cheer on the boys. Why not? One more time. I mean, I know this has been a bad season. It's a season we'd all probably like to forget. But overall, I'm glad to see this team at least get somewhat of a reward for fighting and grinding through this season when they certainly could have just completely mailed it in a couple of weeks ago. So, overall, again, Gamecocks taking on LSU Tuesday night. Um, first pitch tentatively set for 9 o'clock Eastern time. I know that's probably going to be past some people's bedtime, so it's going to be a late one in Hoover, Alabama. But, again, I, I'm very curious and interested. We'll know a lot more. I, I think I'll have a – you know, we'll definitely have a better feeling on sort of what the matchups will be once the pitching – the uh, you know, the, the, the pitching uh, probability is released, if you will. I think Gamecocks go with Cam Tringali. I, I just – I don't know who else they could throw. I, I really don't at this, at this point. Um, it's, it's funny. It's probably because you look at it, it's basically like a midweek game. It's a Tuesday midweek game, if you will. And South Carolina, you know, has gone with Daniel Lloyd. I believe their last midweek game, midweek game, Danny Lloyd pitched, you know, they've, they've thrown Dylan Harley a lot in the midweek. Do we see some sort of mix and match with that? Do we just see completely a Johnny Holstaff type deal? Um, because Cam Tringali obviously threw Thursday night. Um, so he would be the most fresh of your weekend starters. But overall, I think it'll be very interesting to see who Mark Kingston goes with, who he hands the ball to uh, on Tuesday night. Let's move to some basketball now. South Carolina picking up a big-time, big-time commitment from Tennessee Tech grad transfer, Micaiah Henry. Uh, six foot eight, 235 pounds, averaged 9.7 points per game at Tennessee Tech, 4.7 rebounds, and 1.8 blocks. In my opinion, this is exactly what the doctor ordered for Frank Martin and company. You have – you. You absolutely had to have a guy like this, a dude that, you know, can really fill the physical presence of a guy like Chris Silva. We all know about know about Chris Silva leaving. Obviously, South Carolina having some transfer, transfers of their own with Felipe Hase leaving, um, you know, Jason Cudd leaving as well. And obviously, Mike Kotsar is going to be a guy that's really dependent on to pick up the slack after Chris Silva's departure to the NBA. Um I'm very, very excited about this pickup. Again, it's just something you had to have. I think we all saw it coming and knew at some point that South Carolina was going to get some big man in the transfer market, if you will, in the in the transfer uh, through transfer at least. Um, and I think this is a guy you absolutely had to have. Six foot eight, again, two hundred thirty-five pounds. I think he'll probably want to put on some weight. But overall, you know, I'll be completely honest. Not a guy that I've seen a ton of film on. Uh, you know, depending on when you're listening to this, I'm actually going to be dropping an article kind of breaking down his game, what it means for South Carolina. 
Um, but a guy, again, you just had to have. I think somebody will play a ton because I don't expect Mike Coatsar, to be completely honest, to just be that guy that can take over and fill in for the shoes of Chris Silva. I think it's going to be a, you know, an effort of, of a bunch of different guys that are filling in, that are kind of making up for his production that has been lost overall. So, Makai Henry, again, a commit. Tennessee Tech grad transfer that I think is going to do wonders for the Gamecocks. And, again, Frank Martin continuing to build that program. I think we're all still very anxiously waiting to see what A.J. Lawson's going to do. But I feel good about his return. A guy that wasn't invited to the NBA Combine would be shocked if he's a guy that left early, uh, that left Columbia early. But overall, someone that Frank Martin need to get, Tennessee Tech grad transfer, Makai Henry. Very, very excited to see what he can do. And, again, he's got the credentials as well with the stats. I mean, again, almost 10, point, 10 points per game. The number that stands out to me is almost two blocks per game as well. So somebody that's a very much a physical presence down low and someone that can play defense as well, which I think will be big and probably something that really, really attracted Frank Martin to him. Because obviously we know that we know the the uh, the style of basketball that Frank Martin likes to play, and I think uh, he will fit in great at South Carolina. Um, definitely want to mention as well South Carolina golf. Uh, Gamecocks golf is headed to Fayetteville for the national title. South Carolina with a hell of a comeback. Um, Gamecocks were about five or six strokes out most of the day. Um, South Carolina able to battle back, went to a playoff. They find themselves now going to Fayetteville to compete for the national title. Also, Will Miles named second team All-SEC. Scott Stevens named first team All-SEC. Definitely want to give a shout out to, uh, to Billy Mack and the boys, what they've been doing. It's been great to follow those guys. It's great for South Carolina golf. Um, you know, to get the recognition, to be able to advance, obviously, going to the national title should be a lot of fun to watch. Obviously, we'll be having everything on social media and promoting that as well um, as soon as it comes up. All right, let's get into some listener questions. Obviously, like you guys are hearing, a pretty light show this week. Not a ton going on. Obviously, I know South Carolina baseball, again, you know, getting to Hoover, stuff like that, but not a very, very heavy show as far as news is concerned. Unfortunately, we're starting to get into that uh, – <clears throat> that off-season lull, if you will, as we all wait for football season. But some good listener questions as well. Let's get into these. We'll start with McClea uh, DT. Um, Shy Smith eventually breaks the school career receptions record. Your thoughts? Um, I think it's something that certainly could happen. You know, I, I, I'm really hoping and expecting Shy Smith to be that guy that takes over for Debo Samuels as a playmaker. You know, I think that's – I think that's certainly one of the biggest questions heading into this 2019 season is just where's the productivity going to come from? Is it going to be a shy Smith? Is it Brian Edwards taking it all? Is it going to be a combination of receivers and tight ends? Is it going to be running backs as well? You know, where is South Carolina going to get that production from? And I, I think shy Smith could certainly be that guy and be that playmaker for South Carolina. So, you know, to answer your question, I, I could certainly see it happening, but we need to see shy Smith step up and step up fast. Um, Bellatrix 392 predictions for the football season. You know, I've said it before, you know, we're obviously going to, I'm going to obviously break everything down as we get closer to football season, give kind of the preview stuff like that once we get closer to the season, but gun to head right now, I think South Carolina is either six and six or seven and five. I just flip a coin in regards to those two, those two records. But I think right now that's probably the safe pick six and six or seven and five for South Carolina. Um, John underscore Wilgus underscore IV. Will Holinsky win the starting job this season? Um, <clears throat> no, I, I think it's going to be Jake Bentley's job this season. I think Ryan Holinsky will certainly play. He can play it before games and still get the red shirt. But, no, I, I think I think it's Jake Bentley's job. You know, I know there are fans that are obviously exhausted with the Jake Bentley era and are ready for Ryan Holinsky to sort of take over, if you will. Now, <clears throat> I, I'm not saying that – you know, Ryan Holinsky's not going to play. And maybe – who knows? Ryan Holinsky could start a game. You never know. 
But I think the only way that happens is through injury. I just think that Will Muschamp has really invested himself in Jake Bentley and the Jake Bentley era, and I think he's, I think he's going to ride it out to the end. And, and again, I expect Jake Bentley to have a solid year and where, you know, I don't know. I'm curious to see what the leash is going to be like just simply because, you know, the way we saw Jake play last year at times would make you think that if they had a capable backup, he'd be in there. Because, you know, obviously there were times with, you know, the red zone turnovers and just some of the dumb mistakes he made throwing the interceptions. You know, if there was somebody behind him, obviously they did not feel Michael Skarniecki was that guy. Will they give the ball to Ryan Helensky? Will they give him a chance? I'll be very interested to see. But, no, I think Jake Bentley is your starting quarterback in 2019. Um, J.K. Gill, 34. Who do we start Tuesday in Hoover? I feel like all three guys who started through a lot of pitches. I was just talking about this earlier, obviously, but it's a great question. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see a guy like Danny Loy get the start. Obviously, that dude that <clears throat> obviously is the dude that they've thrown an SEC play has had a bunch of starts. As you know, at this point in the season, guys that are true freshmen—they're really not freshmen anymore. These guys have had a ton of experience. They've had a ton of contribution. Wouldn't be shocked to see a guy like Danny Loy get the start. I have a feeling it's just going to be completely Johnny Holstaff. Though I think they're going to treat it like a midweek game. You're going to have a starter. They're going to try to get a solid maybe three innings out of him. I think Dylan Harley will throw, and really from there it's going to be they're going to be patching it together, which is why I don't see South Carolina probably advancing past the the the, the opening game against LSU. I think the pitching staff is too too patchwork right now, too too makeshift, if you will. But if I had to guess, I mean, I could also see Cam Tringali, like I mentioned earlier. I was assuming he'd probably get the star. He's the freshest of the weekend starters. But uh, the other guy to me would be Danny Lloyd, be the one that would stand out. I would not be shocked at all if he were to get the start uh, Tuesday night. Um, all right, so that's going to do it for our listener questions for our show. Again, pretty light show this week. Again, South Carolina headed to Hoover. You got the grad transfer there, but not a ton going on. Um, we'll have a lot more, obviously, coming up this week as the Gamecocks get into SEC play or get into SEC tournament play, if you will. Um, also, one thing I didn't mention earlier, if you guys could do me a favor, wherever you listen to us, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever, be sure to go leave us a five-star review or just leave us a review and let us know your thoughts, your feedback. I always love to hear from the fans, love to hear from our listeners. If you have anything that you think we could do better, I could do better, and the Spurs Up show could do better, please be sure to let me know as well. You can either leave us a review, hit us up on social media, whatever you like. Love, again, to interact with the fans. Love interacting and hearing from our listeners. It's one of my favorite parts of doing what we do. Also, one of my favorite parts is having on South Carolina Legends. Fantastic interview with former Gamecocks defensive end Chaz Sutton. Broke everything down from his South Carolina career. Uh, very, very cool stuff, including memories from the 2010 Alabama game, 2012 Georgia game, and being part of the winningest senior class in school history. Those guys finished with 42 overall wins, obviously some of the greatest years in South Carolina football history. Uh, before we dive into that interview, it's an interview brought to you again by our friends over at SeatGeek. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to go download the SeatGeek app, use our promo code SPURSUP, save $10 off your first purchase. If you haven't downloaded it yet, there's obviously some huge things coming up. College football, South Carolina football, you're all going to be wanting to buy your tickets be sure to go through our friend SeatGeek to do, to do that. It's the best ticket buying app by far and the only one I would suggest using. Again, go download, download those guys at SeatGeek. They actually rate the tickets based on a ticket rating system. So you know if you're getting a really, really good deal, if you're paying a little bit too much for what you're getting, they tell you all that so you know everything you need to know before you click the buy button. Again, that's SeatGeek. Go download SeatGeek. Use that promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks defensive end Chaz Sutton.
All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for South Carolina football from 2009 to 2013. He finished his South Carolina career with 76 total tackles, 20 tackles for loss, and nine sacks with also one interception return for a touchdown. Had a brief career in the NFL and is also a published author. I'm very, very pleased to welcome the show, former Gamecocks defensive end, Chaz Sutton. Chaz, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. All right, man. Thank you for having me, man. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So, Chaz, let's kind of go back to the beginning for you. Obviously, a very highly touted recruit out of Savannah, Georgia. I believe you were rated a four-star recruit by most of the major recruiting sites. Um, I know you spent your first year in junior college, but just kind of talk and walk us through what, you know, what made you pick South Carolina? Why did you want to become a Gamecock? Well, um, it's funny because uh, I know um, growing up as a kid, um, I, I remember um, – University of Miami Dynasty uh, when they had Ken Dorsey, uh, Kellen Winslow, Weatherson Gay. So I always wanted to be a hurricane. I was like, man, I want to go to school like that, man. I just, I always like, I, it was just excitement just seeing them guys playing the game with so much passion and everybody was good and their competition it was fierce. So I was like, you know, man, it'd be great to play for a program like that. Um, but once I got into high school and started getting recruited, um, uh, University of Florida, Rutgers, and a lot of other schools were, you know, first to come and offer. But um, I fell in love with Florida in the beginning just because of, you know, just the coach being there, Coach Greg Madison. Um, I believe he's still at uh, University of Michigan. But, um, you know, he just filled me with a lot of insight on how to, you know, play the game or whatever the case may be. And um, once um, I got off about Florida, it was just like, all right, it's no brain. I'm going to commit here. You know, they was – they was riding on the highway by the time they just won a national championship. Um, and they had a lot of talented guys coming through that program. I was like, man, I can go here and, you know, do something special and, you know, possibly play in the NFL. So I was like, man, this is, you know, it's just as good as going to University of Miami. But um, I had an issue in high school where, you know, I didn't want to, you know, basically I just wanted to, you know, do my work and, not make the best grades, but I just wanted to pass, do enough just to pass to get by to keep playing. And um, I didn't understand that until I started getting recruited heavily by a lot of different institutions. And they, they're telling me, hey, we're basing everything off the of sliding scale and you're not too far off, but you need work. And if you don't, and if you don't meet that, uh, those standards, then we're either not going to sign you at this time or we're going to send you to a JUCO or we're going to send you to a prep school. So, you know, um, uh, University of Florida, they had a timeline, and um, they just wanted me to meet that timeline. I couldn't meet it. So they ended up, you know, snatching away the scholarship, which hurts. It really hurts, man. Um, like, I'm not afraid to tell that story now. Mm -hmm. I remember going on a official visit there and having a good time, um, hanging around, like, guys like Jerry Howard, the Pouncey Twins, Dunlap, you know, just all the guys that, you know, that's still around playing in the NFL. Um like just seeing all these guys, um, meeting Tebow, it was just great. Um, but um, but that last day before I flew out of Gainesville to head back home to Savannah, um, I sat in the office with Coach Madison and Coach Urban Meyer, and they just was telling me, "Hey, you know, we're not going to sign you this year. We're gonna we're gonna uh, recommend you to go to Higher Grade Military Academy, and and hopefully you can get qualified. It wasn't like a set plan there. It was just, hey, we're recommending you to go to this school. You know, Coach Prunty, he's a, uh, you know, he he gets the job done. But you know, but that was just, it was just, it was just here. You can go here. Maybe 
in the future, we can come back and revisit this thing. So it wasn't like a for sure plan, but on the flip side of that, I know when I committed to Florida, I had guys like Coach Lauren and Coach Hunt and my feel like, hey, man, if things don't work out, you know, we'd love to have you in Columbia. So um, they just they just stuck with me the whole time. Like they, I guess they knew from day one, like, all right, man, if Florida slipped through the cracks, we have a plan and we're going to put the plan in place to get Chaz here. So that's, you know, that was one of the, you know, bigger blessings there because, like, once the Florida thing fell through the cracks, the next day I was on the phone with Coach Lauren and, and um, I think, like, a few days later I was on a visit and um, uh, I met a guy who was able to sit down and meet with, uh, you know, Eric Norwood, Jasper mm-hmm. Brinkley, Casper, and all these different guys. And, and you know, I just felt comfortable there with those guys, man, just being on that campus. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to give the school a shot, you know, just because of, you know, the coaches, they, you know, they, they stayed loyal through the whole process. They didn't, you know, they, they, they believed in my talent enough to get me there. And, um you know, the rest is just history, man. Just, you know, just signing there and just going through the process. No doubt. So you mentioned, you know, just going back to, you spent 2008 at Fork Union Military Academy. You know, there's been a lot of talk about junior college football. Obviously the last chance you show, I think it's really shed some light on, you know, I guess what junior college football is like, just with people that don't know. I mean, how, how would you describe that year at Fork Union Military Academy? Is it, is it anything like the, uh, the TV show, is that a little played up a bit? Or, I mean, what's that experience like? <laughs> oh, man, it's a reality check. I tell you right now, man, it's a reality check. Um, you got guys that, you know, or you got, you got guys that leave high school, they might come from they, – they, they might be in a, in, a, in, a, in a light where they're that guy, you know, like, every, like they got the world at their feet at that moment. But, you know, you don't do what you, you, don't do what you need to do to get to, you know, to the, to the platform that you need to be at. So when you get, when you go to those uh, different institutions like the Fork Union or the Pearl Rivers or the, or, you know, the, uh, the Butler Community College or whatever, you know, JUCOs that are out there, it brings you back to reality, man, because it's not, it's not the same. Um, it's, it's, it's more of a, it's, it's more of lower tiered. Um, like I know for me at Fork Union, man, um, it was military based. So we had to, get up every morning at five when that bugle went off, we had to march to breakfast, we had to do formation. Um, it was, it was a struggle, man. I remember two weeks into it, man, I cried. Like, I was like, I don't want to be here. Like I, I knew for a fact, I was like, man, I want to go home. And then if I didn't talk to the counselor, I would have gave up football, you know, cause I didn't want to be there anymore. But um, I just kept pressing through. Um, it, it taught me a lot of valuable lessons, not to take a lot of things for granted. Um, and the only thing that really took me away from being at Fort Union, we had a lot of away games. So we'd travel and just playing football and, and just connected with guys like Zach, uh, Zach Kerr, um, Cody Blue, um, uh, DJ, uh, um, I can't, DJ Cole, uh, Tony Gregory, uh, Deion Miller. Just a lot of different guys that I played with there, man. Um, it was It was special just to, you know, connect with those guys because, they took me away from just having the thought of, man, I'm in a school where I got, you know, it's a military school. I didn't picture myself going through that type of, you know, setting or whatnot. Um, it's a lot of pressure, you know, it, it demands a lot of you, but also you just, you still have that, that privilege to play the game of football, which takes you away from it, um, which, you know, it, it helps. But I, when I left for a I told myself, you know, that I'm not going to take, you know, this game for granted. 
I'm going to do whatever I can and also not take school for granted. Like I know uh, my first year at South Carolina, I was able to, I was blessed enough to uh, achieve uh, SEC academic honor roll. And that was a big achievement for me because growing up, I never made honor roll. Like all, all throughout grade school, I never made honor roll. So just having, just going through that, 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 that setting, uh, it, it, it definitely helped me. It, it, it helped mold me once I got to South Carolina, like, look, man, you only get one shot. And if you, you mess up that, then that's no, it might, it might not be no coming back. You know, and I've seen a lot of guys, you know, four stars, five stars, great talent, you know, they go to these different institutions and they don't make it out. No doubt. So kind of switching gears, going back a little bit, unrelated question as far as the Gamecocks are concerned, but I know you said you, you know, originally committed to Florida. Obviously, you had somewhat of a relationship with Urban Meyer, and I promise it's not a loaded question, but I'm just genuinely curious <laughs> with all the with all the stuff that's happened since then with Urban Meyer, obviously with the situation at Florida and now the situation at Ohio State. I mean, did you did you ever have any indication that his coaching career would go like that? I mean, was there ever anything in the – because I know I've heard some stories of, you know, recruits going to Florida and, you know, they feel some a certain type of way about Urban Meyer. I mean, again, not a loaded question, just curious to get your – you know, your insight from someone that sat in a room with him and what, did you ever get any indication he was that type of guy? Or, I mean, did you have any opinions on kind of what's happened with him or? Well, it's funny that you asked that question. I remember um, when I went on that visit, um, we, we was at, we went like all the recruiters at his house. Um, then like all the guys that hosted us, like Jeff Demps, the Pouncey twins, like all these great athletes that were there. Um we we just hanging out and then uh it was like all the recruits there. Like uh, I think Julio Jones was on his uh on his visit. Um who else that was a big name? Frank Hammond, myself, uh uh dang, that's a defensive end name. I can't remember his name. He's out of Alabama, but he ended up going there. I think his name was like William Green or something like that. Um but it was uh you had uh I think Jamie Hopper came to that visit. There was a lot of guys that was that came um to that visit but uh but for the most part man um like when we was at the house I was sitting at the table where it was it was me and his other defensive end I guess it was William Green uh he was a five star I was a four star he had the hype I had the hype but you know um his name was just a little bit bigger than what my name was but um I remember Coach Meyer and Coach Madison came to one of my track meets my junior year and um uh, and we was just sitting there talking. And most of the time, he was kind of like, he was talking to me, but it was more so like he was just so wrapped around William because they, they felt that William might end up going to uh, – I, uh, I felt like they felt like he may go with Coach Saban to Alabama. So they was just trying to, you know, I guess pull him in that direction. But and then um, it was funny because, like, you know, he was talking about track and then I was talking about track. But it was kind of like he wasn't even – so much paying attention to what I was saying. He was just more so focused on William. So I was just like, oh, okay, well, let me just be quiet and, you know, do my do something else. But um, I kind of got the feeling that, you know, he was kind of ignoring what I was saying or whatnot in that instance. But it was funny because, like, soon as uh, it, it was announced that I wasn't going to Florida anymore, they ended up picking up a commitment from him. So I already guess they already had that. That works in the, in the play, you know, throughout that weekend or even before then. So yeah, that 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 right there proved to me that it was, you know, some shading that's going on. Absolutely. So let's move into your Gamecock career, Chess. 2009, um, you get on campus, obviously, as a true freshman. 
Um, suffer a left hamstring injury. Um, we did get the medical red shirt, thankfully, but just kind of talk about, you know, I guess you, you finally, like you said, you spent that year at Fork Union. Obviously, you had to really grind through <clears throat> everything that junior ju, JUCO football entails, and you get on campus and suffer the injury. I mean, how, how did you stay positive through that? What was the rehab like? And I guess how thankful were you to get the medical red shirt? Well, for me, I didn't want a medical red shirt in the beginning. Like, I didn't. Like, I was just a young kid. Um, like coming from Savannah, like I was just, I was larger than Savannah or larger than that, that area. So it was like, it was, it was like a once in a lifetime type thing. So I was thinking that I'm going to go to Savannah. I mean, I'm going to go to South Carolina. I'm going to play. I'm going to end up becoming freshman All-American. I'm going to do all these great things. I just had a lot of goals in my mind that I wanted to accomplish. And, and when I, once I got hurt and, like I didn't want to go to treatment. I was trying to do things a little different. I didn't understand that, you know, hey, now your body is your business. So you got to take care of your body. So it was frustrating going through that that phase. And, um, and you know, we played Coach, – Coach Kane approached me many a time saying, hey, I think you just need to go ahead and take a rest. I think you just go ahead and take a rest. Because I played in the NC State game beginning of the year. Um, the next few games, I didn't see any much action at all. I think we played uh, – I want to say we played Thurman that year, mm-hmm. and I played in one of those. I played uh, some short uh, change time in that in that game. But other than that, I didn't play much at all. And then I think after we played Kentucky, it was just like, man, Chaz, just go ahead and shut it down for the rest of the year. So I ended up taking the, uh, the medical red shirt and, um, you know – and it worked out for me. I'm glad I did it because you know it, it helped. It helped me under. It helped me take a step back and understand like, hey, not only were you hurt, but you wasn't ready to play. Like, and I didn't realize that. I just thought I could, you know, the more I you know get out there and experience it. And that's what sometimes that's what you have to do. Like, you can only do so much at practice, but in a game setting, you can be okay. You get in that experience, so now you you know what to expect. But, you know, for me, it was like, I, I knew for a fact after that year, I was like, man, I wasn't ready to play. I, I just knew I wasn't ready to play. So, you know, that's just me just trying to, you know, grow up and mature and, 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 and get the better understanding of what coach Long was trying to teach me at the time. No doubt. So you mentioned coach Long. I was going to ask you, you know, obviously you were under Lorenzo Ward, Lorenzo Ward, Brad Long, but coach T Spurrier, obviously hall of fame head coach, um, just kind of talk about, you know, it's funny. We've had different guys on this podcast that have talked about their relationships with Steve Spurrier. I think it's interesting how those relationships differ, whether you're on offense, defense, special teams, if you're a quarterback, obviously, what have you. But what was your relationship like with uh, with the old ball coach? Uh, it was it was scarce. I would say um, me and him didn't really have a big relationship. And the fact, I think that most of the time, uh, with Coach Spurrier, he was he's he's kind of like myself. He's world reserved, but um, I would say Coach, I like I hate to say it, but Coach Spurrier wasn't like a player's coach. He didn't have like a lot of big relationships with with guys. Like what I hear from what I hear from like the parents that are there now with Coach Muschamp is night and day from what Coach Spurrier was. Coach Spurrier wasn't like to me. He wasn't a player's coach at all. You know. Like a lot of guys that played offense for him, like I don't know what it was like with Connor or or, or Steven Garcia or anybody before them, but 
but for me myself and anybody that played defense, like we didn't have like no, 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 no male role model figure, uh, per se, uh, relationship with him. Like we we didn't really like yeah he did all these great things, but we didn't look up to him as in like man you know this is a great guy and you know we want to you know emulate what he does as far as life you know, like uh, life principles or whatever the case may be. You know, don't get me wrong, he was a good coach, but he wasn't like just hands-on with a lot of the guys. I wish he was like that, but he wasn't, you know. He was just – he was Coach Spurrier, and, and that was that. Who would you say was the coach that you were closest to? Would you say Lawing, Ward? I mean, which of the coaches was kind of your go-to guy? I would say uh, when I was there, I spent a lot of time with Coach Fitzgerald and Coach uh, Joe Connolly. Uh, the strength and conditioning coaches. Um, Coach Long, he he did play. He was instrumental in my development there. But for the most part, the strength and conditioning staff, man, they were like, they they were like our big brothers or uncles or you know whatever the case may be. Like they made sure we were prepared for every Saturday, you know. And they spent time with us. They invited us over to, to their homes. Uh, you know, they invited us to do things with their families and stuff like that. So it was, I'm very thankful for those guys like Craig Fitzgerald and Joe Connolly, because without those guys, I think that, you know, times would have been tough there, you know, like, yeah, the workouts was grueling. Yeah. You know, we had to get up at five o'clock in the morning or, and do all this, this crazy things to get our bodies prepared for, you know, for, for game day. But the principles that they instilled in us, um, it helped us in life, especially, you know, like going on jobs now, you know, life after football and things of that nature, man, it, it really, you know, it really helped us. It, I really, I, you know, I really thank those guys, you know, because without them, you know, it just wanted to, I don't think it would have, it, maybe it, it would have been some other strength and conditioning staff out there that would have did the same things. But with those guys, I think they really was instrumental in a lot of guys development at that uh, institution. For sure. So you returned 2010, obviously, for your redshirt freshman season, if you will. Have your first career sack in South Carolina's first game uh, of 2010 against mm-hmm. Southern Miss, and where you guys blow those guys out. And then uh, have one of, I guess, I guess you could say, the highlights of your career. Definitely one of the early highlights of your career. You had the 56-yard interception return for a touchdown on. It's funny, I was watching the play before we came on, just a freak play where their quarterback tries to just get rid of it, and you happen to be – I would say in the right place at the right time, take it back for a touchdown. But oh, yeah. you know, more importantly, <laughs> yeah. that yeah, more importantly that season, you're part of the 2010 Gamecocks for the for the first time ever win the SEC East, go to the SEC Championship, and again, you're just you know a redshirt freshman, you know, only been on campus for a little bit. Just kind of talk about that season overall. I guess what you learned, you know, about yourself because the first time competing against SEC competition for an entire season, and also you know, the Gamecocks, the team making it to Atlanta. I mean, when you got on campus, was that something you sensed that that's the direction the program was going in when you got there? Oh, yeah, man. Um, I tell you what, man, like the 2007 class, they they kicked it off with everything. Uh, it was a great recruiting class. They were, I believe that was like top five or top ten in the nation. And then you bring in, you know, guys like Alshon and Stefan and Jarvis and just a, and myself and, you know, just other guys after that. But 2010, there was a lot of – you know, for us, it, it was a lot of ups and downs. We 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 had some great wins that uh that that year. Um, I believe we had Marcus. Marcus uh played. He, yeah, that was his, uh, yeah. that was his freshman year. That, year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that was his freshman year. So yeah, we had some good guys come in. AJ Can that year. So we had some pieces that we we put in the puzzle that that helped us. Um, 
But it was a lot of ups and downs, man. We had some great wins. Um, we had a close game in Auburn early in that year. Um, man, I broke, I broke, I actually broke my right hand that year and uh, came back. That, uh, the interception was the first game I played after the um, after the uh, we played Kentucky. So I sat out a couple of games after that because I had a broken hand. And the first game I came back was that game and caught an interception and, and took it 50 yards. But it was that year. It was just a lot of ups and downs, man. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't expect that we will make it that to that that pinnacle in that season. But you know, key games that we won in the East helped us a lot, and um, we was thankful, man. Like we didn't, we was like, all right, man, if this team loses and we went out and do this or do that, then we have a chance. And um, you know, we we set some goals that year. And we was like, man, this is what we want, and and we can get it. We just gotta believe in it and buy in, and um. A lot of guys, you know, we just we just had a great we had a great group of group of guys, you know, that were veterans and young, you know, and um, it, we just all came together and said, hey, we got a chance, we're gonna do this. But it just getting to that pinnacle, it was it was great. Now, obviously, you can't talk about that 2010 season without mentioning the South Carolina Alabama game. I, I think one of the most instrumental games in South Carolina football oh, history, yeah, as far as. Uh, <laughs> like really launching the program. I'd say 2009 Ole Miss as well was a big one. But 2010 Alabama was really when you felt like – I really feel like you, you knew Steve Spurrier kind of had it rolling. You know, the, I think what we saw yeah, follow up was, in 2011, was, 12, and 13. So that sort of got it jump-started. I mean, just tell me what – you know, I know you didn't record any stats in that game. It sounded like you, you'd hurt your hand or whatever. But just kind of talk about what you remember overall from the week leading up, that entire experience, college game day, and then obviously South Carolina getting the win that day. Right. So basically, uh, that that game right there, that I will say you you're absolutely right. That was a turning point for us in that in that season, and you know that that definitely you know was one of the games that put us in in that in that talk. Like, hey, these guys are here. They're for real. Like, they wanted to compete with the rest of the conference. But um, just that week, man, it was just a lot of talk about, hey, they got all these great players. They got you know the Julio Jones. I think he came off. He he had the same type of injury I had with a fourth metacarpal bone in his hand or whatnot. And um, you know, two good, two great running backs, huge offensive line. You know, uh, you know, a quarterback that can manage the game. Defense is just outstanding play. Um, for us, it was just man, let's go, let's go in this game. Let's give them a fight of their life. You know, we had we had our fans behind us, and that's what we planned on doing. You know, we just went into the game and said, hey. We're going to fight them. We're going to fight them to the end. But, you know, <laughs> we got into the game. We didn't think that we, we will be up by, you know, a two-score lead, you know. And, and it just happened that way, man. It was it was a great win for, for, for us as a team and also for the community, man. It was, it was, it was big. It was – that was one – that was one for the books. No doubt. No, I'd 100% agree. So, I'm going to get, obviously, to your huge play against Clemson in 2013, which I'd say is – I think you'd probably agree one of the biggest highlights of your career, but uh, you know, a lot of it clicks for a lot of different guys, especially when you don't grow up a South Carolina fan. Obviously, you being in Savannah, Georgia, you talked about you're a big Miami fan, but when did it click for you how big the South Carolina Clemson game was to, you know, not just I guess players or the institution, but the fans and just overall in general? I would say my freshman year, like when it was funny. Uh, when I got on campus, they was like, man, we can lose every game, but as long as we beat the upstate team, that'll make the season, you know, and I, and I was like, wow, like, I want to win every game. I don't want to lose. I remember I came my first two years in high school. We only won one game each year, 
So I was like, no, I don't want to go back to that. I'd rather win all the games than, than just lose. And, yeah, it has been great to beat Clemson. But, you know, for me at that time, like, I was like, all right, it's just Clemson. Like, they're not the, you know, the the big dog in college football yet. So it was like, hey, let's, um, yeah, let's, let's win them all and beat Clemson on, on top of that. You know, but I, I really understood the importance of that game once I got on campus. No doubt. So the 2011 season I thought was a very, very good one for you, obviously. But I think a very interesting happened that year, obviously, that a uh, a, a young, you know, I would say a young uh, protege, if you will, Jadavion Clowney steps on campus. I got to ask you, what was it like to play, you know, across for him? Because you guys turned out to be obviously a dangerous tandem, just harassing quarterbacks your entire career. I mean, what was it like to play with a guy like J.D. Clowney? It was good, man. He was very energetic, uh, freakish of an athlete, man. That guy was just, you know, he was he was blessed. You know, you got a guy that that was just just favorably blessed by God with with tremendous talent. Um, and you know, he just he was he was just always the guy that was upbeat. You know, life for the locker room, life for the practice field. You know, um, and it was it was just great playing with a guy like that, man. Um, just just to see him coming in as a, you know, 17, 18-year-old kid and and just understanding, like, the importance of, you know, hey, we want to win and, hey, we got a goal here and, you know, we, we want to bring this thing together. So, you know, because our, our main – the whole time I was there, our whole goal was just let's win it all, man. Let's get to the, you know, to the to the, the top of the mountain and, and claim, you know, the, the college uh, national championship. But, you know, we always fell short by, you know, a game or two or whatever the case may be. But um, he was one of the guys that, that we believed in early on when he got there, man, because he was just so talented. It was like he has to play, you know, whether it was third down or whether he was starting. We, we knew that this this kid is going to help us. So, Yeah, no doubt. So I, I want to shift gears a little bit to the 2012 season, obviously, for you. Again, I thought it was a big year. You made a huge jump. Uh, didn't have any sacks in 2011, but – 2012, I think you became a lot more involved in the rabbit package. I know you guys have was more of a situational DM, but you had five sacks in 2012. Obviously, you got better and better in your South Carolina career, but what would you attribute, you know, what changed for you, I guess, what clicked going into that junior season? I would say uh, just just being in the right scenarios. Um, I would say 2011, I was more so of a core special teams guy. Um I played some, you know, some trash plays here, trash time there, 2011. But it was times where, you know, um, I think I had one start in 2011. But in 2012, that's when coach was like, "Hey, man, we 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 think you'll be valuable here." I was like, "Man, I'm just I'm just trying to get on field and play, man. Whatever I got to do to help this team, that's what I'm gonna do." You know, because at those times and moments um, at South Carolina, why I had my bitterness about certain scenarios but you know I just was like you know let me just put that aside and just keep getting better and and you know good things are going to come and um 2012 that was a good year for me you say five sacks but <laughs> if you really just look at the film man I should have had at least 13 14 sacks <laughs> man but we not gonna even get on that topic but uh <laughs> but um yeah 2012 was it, it was great man just um uh, just to have that production that year, and uh, it put me it put me in a different uh, light because that's what the fans wanted to see out of me. You know, they wanted to see, man, this guy has tremendous potential. You know, he can he can definitely ball, but he he just needs his chance. He just needs a shot. And uh, 2012, I got that shot, and 
and uh, you know, I proved him right. I proved a lot of people right, you know. So it was it was great just you know just to be able to go out there and and, and showcase that. How did you handle fan expectations? I think it's interesting. You kind of came up and came through. I, I was in college same time as you where social media is just starting to take off. People are just starting to get Twitter, Instagram accounts. People are starting to have, you know, opinions on social media. And as we all know now, you know, the, the, the gift and the curse of it is that everybody has a voice, even those who probably shouldn't. Um, right. So, I mean, just kind of talk about, you know, obviously you have internal expectations for yourself, the coaching staff expectations. Right. expectations. And then fans right. have expectations. I mean, how were you able to juggle all of that? Well, for me, I just ignore, you know, what what's on the outside, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, people are going to have all kind of expectations for you. They're going to have, you know, sometimes they're realistic. Some Most of the time they're unrealistic. So you just got to have – you got to set goals for yourself and you got to be able to achieve those goals on, on your own because, um, you know, people will go out and say, man, Chad should – should be a 20 sack guy each year but you know when we in the heat of a moment or a game or whatnot and you got you say say they they're game planning for you they got yeah you you might end up in some one-on-one situations or you might end up you know getting chipped every play you know it's just it just don't work out that way or you know hey you know i know 2013 season where most 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 teams like hey we're gonna we're gonna put in a system where we we're gonna catch the ball we're gonna get rid of it like we're not holding the ball for three and four seconds. We're going to catch it and throw it. That's just what it is. So, um, you know, like a lot of a lot of fans and just a lot of people just always had unrealistic, unrealistic expectations and stuff like that. Even family members they'll call you and say, "Hey, man, you should do this or you should do that." And I'm like, "Dude, that, that's not even realistic." People that understand the game, they know when, and and they're more realistic about it. But um, but for the main thing, you just gotta know know that you're pleasing yourself. And because you're going to be always be your worst critic. And um, that's just how it is. You know, you can't, you got to block out everything from the outside because it'll tear you down. It definitely will. So I think as a player, you just got to set your own personal goals and do them. And then, you know, ask yourself, hey, did I, you know, just reevaluate yourself at the end of the week and say, hey, did I, did I, did I knock this goal down? Yes. And then if you didn't, then, hey, let me reset let's try it again next week you know that's just how it is no doubt so again kind of switching gears 2011 we saw a changing in the guard with South Carolina at quarterback obviously we know Steve Spurrier and his you know his history of quarterbacks but the the, the hand changes from Stephen Garcia to Connor Shaw I'll just talk about because you know I've had a, a couple of defensive guys on the show before that you know we played with Stephen Garcia played with both Stephen Garcia and Connor Shaw and they talk about each of those guys the way they were re- able to rally around them not just guys on offense but defense the entire team uh, what was your relationship like, if any, with uh, with Stephen Garcia and then Connor Shaw? They was my brothers, man. Like anybody that walked in the locker room when I was there, they was they was family. You know, um, you know, like with family, you have a, a certain relationship with certain guys. I know when I first got there, me and Stephen are, are around the same years. He came out of high school at '07. I came out of '08. So me and him were were more, you know, relatable to each other. But um. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, both guys are very different personalities or whatever the case may be. Um, me and Garcia, you know, we went through a period where we had to mature. And and Connor just came in, like, just from day one, lights out, like, hey, I'm, I'm a man on a mission. This is what I'm going to do. And I got a goal in mind. And we, we just knew that Connor was about business when he came in. Not saying that Steven wasn't, but, you know, 
it was certain things that that Stephen, you know, had to, you know, overcome. And then, you know, a lot of us coming, we all have our issues, uh, you know, as kids growing up. So I, I had my issues as well. But um, I think that uh, with Steve, it was just more so like, hey, I gotta, I gotta, you know, fight, you know, with with all these different expectations that are on my shoulders, but. Also, I got to be able to, you know, perform on Saturdays. If not, then I got somebody jumping down my throat, you know, about the small things that I that I probably that probably wasn't even a big deal. But um, and Connor had those different, uh, those same expectations. But I think both guys just handled them differently. But uh, but for the most part, man, they they're both great dudes. Um, I wish them well. I think um, they both had solid careers there. I wish, you know. Stephen, you know, could have, you know, finished up the 2011 season and, and went on and did great things. But, you know, sometimes, like I say, you know, you know, misfortune happens and, you know, we, we all make, you know, mistakes. And, um, but, I, you know, at the same time, he's a great dude. Um, I, you know, he'll, he'll give you the shot at your back. But like I said, these guys, they're like, they're like my brothers, you know, so I'm always one phone call away from the guys if they have any need, if they ever need anything from me. No doubt. So, talking about the defensive end position, because I'm curious, Chas, somebody that played at your level, you know, I, I'm just really intrigued to know, you know, when you were playing the position at South Carolina or whenever you're coaching somebody, I mean, what, what are you thinking at the line? I mean, are, are you just thinking I'm about to take this quarterback's head off? Is it, is it more technical than that? I mean, what for you and your game, I guess, what, what were you thinking when you're lined up? Well, as a young Chaz, that's what I was. I was like, man, by any means necessary, I'm trying to, I'm trying to just – take somebody's head off. But I know um, once I got to South Carolina and started learning the game of football, I knew that, okay, I need to understand what personnel is out there. All right, they're in 10 personnel. That, that means 10 personnel, there's no tight ends. There's one back in the – one running back in the backfield and everybody's spread out. So I know for a fact, all right, more than likely this is a pass play. And, you know, that was just – it was just certain scenarios on the field that I would just I have to look at and be like, okay, all right, this this could be a run play, this could be a pass play, and it, you had to take all that into account because all it takes for one guy to make one mistake on defense and it and you know it's a touchdown. So it just it's just you know you got to take all that into consideration and, and play the game smarter, you know, and um, you don't want to make as many mental errors as as, as possible because the more mental errors you make the more points you're going to give up, the more trash yards you're going to give up. And uh, eventually, you know, you're going to be on the bench. You know, that's just the way it goes. And um, and for me, I just made sure I, when I went out there, I was always prepared. So when I stepped on that field, I could make plays, but also help my team, you know, reach the common goal, you know, because I know I can't make every tackle. But I can alter the play. Say, like, if they're running the ball at me, I can – you know, seal off the edge and, and make them bounce it back inside and, you know, somebody else will make the tackle or whatever the case may be. So I just I just always went out there with that mentality that, hey, I got to play within the scheme so the whole defense can work in, in, as one uh, unit. That's awesome. So the 2012 season again, Chaz, another game similar to the 2010 Bama game. You cannot talk about 2012 without talking about South Carolina, Georgia, Saturday night, college game day is in town, and all you guys do is go out and just pummel I mean, just pummel Georgia. Just kind of talk about, uh, obviously, I mean, the hype leading in that one was huge. I, I'd say probably as big as any South Carolina game ever that you can ever remember. 
just uh, and you obviously had the sack the highlight that we posted today on instagram on social media just just talk about what you remember from that night and, and a really fun night for the gamecocks man that was i would tell you right now that was the best game i've experienced in that stadium the loudest game i've experienced in that stadium um just just playing in that game man it, it well, the way we dominated, man, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a surreal moment, man. Just being able to go out there with your, with your, with your brothers and, and do something special like that, man. We, we knew that we wanted to win, and we, we, we just, we was like, man, whatever we got to do tonight, that's what we're going to do to win. But we didn't think that we would come out on top that in that in that manner. But um, once the game started going and it started flowing, like offense was clicking special teams was clicking and defense, man, we just was out there like how we usually do it. Like we call ourselves the goon squad for a reason in 2012 and 2011. Like we was like, man, like we believed in, like we was like, we had this all to go like, hey, we're the goon squad. When we go out here, we're going to talk our trash and we're going to play hard nose defense and nobody's going to mess with us. And whoever gets in our way, they got to deal with it. You know, so, and that was, that was just one of the highlights of, of my life, just, playing in that game, like I'll be talking about that game till I'm dead in the ground, like just being able to experience that. Like I still watch, I, I still like watch that game on YouTube or I still have DVD of that game where I can just put it in and just watch it just from start to finish and be like, man, like this was a crazy night just just being able to experience that. It seems like an obvious question, but I mean, was there any moment louder in your career at Williams Bryce than the Ace Sanders punt return for a touchdown? Oh man, that was crazy, man! Like <laughs> he he muffled it, but then when he picked it up, like we always like Ace was just a special type of athlete, man. Like uh, I remember when he first came on campus, and um, it was 2010, and we got to practice and and camp, and man, Ace was just shaking everybody out their cleats out there, and I was just like, man, this look this little dude is nice, you know, <laughs> but, um, that year, man, he just really took off, man. And he, he just was one of those special type of athletes that don't come around too often. But, uh, once he, once he got past that little threshold and he only had the kicker to beat, I was like, man, that's it. He ain't catching him. <laughs> so, you know, that was, that was, that was, that was one of the big moments of that game that I was just like, wow, man, we really are just putting a hurting on these guys because I think once he uh scored that we we was up 21 nothing at that time um, yeah so yeah it was nice no doubt so the 2012 Clemson game is one I want to talk about obviously the fourth straight win over Clemson you guys had and um you had a light night there a tackle for that one but I want to talk about I me mean, your 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 counterpart Jadavion Clowney four and a half sacks in that game which I'm be- I believe, if I remember correctly, is the most in for a South Carolina player in a single game in the history of the school, four and a mm. half total sacks. I mean, just talk mm. about what it was like playing beside him that night. Because, I mean, again, the most ever in school history in a single game. And, I mean, a guy that you talked about earlier, you knew had talent. I mean, we all know that he had talent, but absolutely dominated Clemson that night. Obviously made the proclamation later. He said, as long as I'm here, we're never never losing to Clemson. I mean, what was it like just playing beside him that night? Did, did you feel like he stole a couple of sacks from you, maybe? Oh, man. he I know he stole <laughs> one from uh, <laughs> from Byron and Devin that night. But uh, when he was on fire, man, he just he had some fire in his eyes that night, and he just went out and did his job, man. You know, like Coach, Coach Long was like, hey, man, we're, we're here to get after the quarterback. And that's what we that's what we're here to do. And he went out and did that, man. But 
like I said before, man, he's just a tremendous athlete. And um, that tackle just couldn't block him that night, man. Um, he just – a lot of people couldn't block him that year. And even in that next, next year when um, when they – I seen guys that, that put a tight end in position, that put a running back to the side. It was just crazy. But, like, just that night in general, man, he just was – he was a man on a mission, man. It was, just, it was special seeing him doing that. That had to be very fun for you as a defensive player when you saw how much attention, and obviously deservedly so, they were giving Jadavion Clowney, but that had to be very fun for you when that happened to know that, you all right, I'm 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 pretty much getting a one-on-one matchup right here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Most definitely, man. Like, when you, when you go into certain games and you knew that, especially that year, for example, man, like, because it was like, all right, he's a sophomore, the rest of us are juniors and uh, are seniors. Like, it was – like, he had hype around him, but it wasn't the type of hype that, that we had the following year where, you know, like, people was just like, all right, we just don't he, – he's a sophomore. We just don't block him. But, you know, it, it helped us. It helped the, it, it helped in the scheme because, like, most of the times, more times than ever, they were like, all right, this guy, he's giving us trouble on the edge. All right, we're going to pay attention to him. Then you got me and Aldrick in the middle doing our thing on third down, and then you got Devin on the outside. So – it it opened it opened up a lot for the rest of us uh, to make plays, um, which was which was a cool thing. Um, but I think uh, that year we just had a, a group of four that can rush the quarterback that, and then we all worked as as one as a unit. So that it really it really uh, made a big difference. Yeah, I would say so. I'm just thinking back. I mean, you played with the guys. I mean, obviously yourself, Kelsey Quarles, Melvin Ingram, Jadavion Clowney, Travian Robertson, way back in the early days. I mean, I mean, we. If you had to pick one, which would you say was the best defense you played on out of all the South Carolina defenses? Because, I mean, again, you look back at some of the lineups, and, I mean, it's like 10 out of 11 guys in, in the NFL or at some point we're in the league. I mean, it's it's crazy how good those defenses were. They they were. I mean, if you had to pick one, which would you say was the best? I would say 2012. I would definitely say 2012. Like, out of 2012, that whole defense, uh, you got guys like – Jimmy Legree, Victor Hampton, DJ Swearinger, uh, Bryson Williams, and uh, I mean Bryson Williams. Uh, you got uh, Reggie Bowen, Shaq Wilson, uh, Devontae Holloman. Uh, you got myself, Gerald O'Devin, Clowney, Aldrich. I, I think everybody had a, a shot at you know at the NFL. Like you had NFL talent on that defense all the way across the board. And then you had guys that was behind us just as talented as well. So, um, man, it was like we was loaded that year. Like, we definitely were loaded. We had a mature defense. um, And we played with a passion that year, man. Like, we wanted to go to the national championship. That was our goal. And, you know, the two games that we we fell short in, like the LSU game, I think it was a couple of plays here. It was like a few plays where that game could have changed and we could have won that game. And then we go into uh we go into the swamp that year, the Florida, and you look at the you look at the story of the game, like you look at the score, the score doesn't tell the story of the game. They only mm-hmm. had ninety yards of overall offense that whole game. The defense really shut them out. But we, you know, the offense couldn't get going. Special teams sucked that day. It was just, you know, they 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 took advantage of our mistakes that that game. We really beat ourselves that game. Um, so when you look at that, we should have had an undefeated season. So, um, like, 2012 was special, man. We had a, we had a, a top-tier defense, and, and we believed that. And we went into every stadium. 
even our stadium, man, and we knew that. Like, man, nobody can mess with us. For sure. So you talk a lot about, you know, the goon squad, the passion you play with. I'm sure you'll recall the play, but, I, you know, I was watching, again, some of your highlights. 2013 Vanderbilt, I remember specifically, was watching the highlight. You get a sack, do kind of a little shimmy after the play. Your guy, yourself, played with a lot of passion. Just, you know, sort of talk about, you know, where that stemmed from you. Is it kind of growing up, you always had that fire and intensity on the field, or was that something you got when you got to South Carolina? Well, when I was – when I was in high school, I just played. Like, I was just out-athleting everybody. But, like, once I got to South Carolina, man, I played with guys like Shaq, DJ, uh, you know, Eric, um, uh, Darian Stewart, uh, you know, just being around a lot of different guys that, that you know, helped, like, instill in me, like, hey, man, you know, when you playing this game, you got to play with a certain attitude. Like, even, like, with Melvin. I mean, you know, Melvin, when I first got there with Melvin Ingram, Melvin was like almost 300 pounds. And it was funny because he was playing linebacker when he first got there. And uh, they moved him to deep, defensive tackle. They changed his number. He was just uh, – like, he was going through his little cri- – his uh, mid-college crisis as well. And uh, and just, you know, me and him kind of at the same time went over, you know, certain hurdles in that moment when we were playing there. But – uh just being around those different guys, man, they, they really helped shape me into, uh, you know, the person I was on the field. Like, I went out there with an alter ego, and I was just like, man, it's it's, uh, it's it's time to play ball. Like, I remember, like, every time – by 2011, every time I ran out that smoke, when, when we when we ran on the field, I just threw up Ws. And uh, I know uh, people always ask me, like, where I get the name I uh, Chaz Wass from. People – it started in high school. So, um People always just called me Chaz Waz, and then it carried over into college. And then when I went out there, I was just – when I got on that field, I was Chaz Waz. Like, I was just going out there to just wreck whatever that was in front of me. And then when I ran through the smoke, I always threw up the W's uh, symbolizing Waz or whatnot. Because that's what – people just called me Waz for short. But it was uh, it was cool just, you know, just to have that moment. Because it's like – it took – like, being out there on that field, it took you away from everything. Like, school, girlfriends. um just anything in life that was just bothering you, you know, you just was able to go out there and just play and, and live free, you know, and that, and that's what it was. It was like a sanctuary, you know, how some people go to church and they get that, they want to get that, that solitude or whatnot. And that's what we got that in the game of football. For sure. So I, I want to get to the 2013 season, you know, selfishly, probably my favorite play of your entire career, Chaz, is a play that I know a lot of South Carolina fans look back to. And I just really feel like signified South Carolina's success over Clemson and the five-game winning streak, and that was your play in that game. I know you, I know, you know what I'm talking about, the the play where, you know, you simply put – just ripped the ball straight out of Taj Boyd's hand, and it looked like a play where you simply just wanted it more than he did. Um, I know he thought he was down, but you look at the replay, obviously easily was not on the ground yet. And, again, it just looked like you wanted the ball more than him. Straight up took it away. I mean – what do you remember from that night as a whole, obviously beating Clemson five times in a row? It's senior night for you and and then mm-hmm. that play specifically. Right. Man, it was a bittersweet moment, man. I remember before that game, like, just running out. And um, they announced all the guys. I ran out, seeing my mom and my brother. I ran right into their arms and started crying. Because I was like, man, like, I'm not, this is going to be my last time ever doing this. And, like, I'm not a big – emotional person but I got emotional in that moment because it was just 
it was just one of those moments that I was like, man, I'll never have this moment ever again. Like, this is my last time doing this. So it was bittersweet. And uh, when we got into the course of the game, you know, it was a fight. Like, we, we, we fought with Clemson. Like, uh, 2013 uh, defense wasn't the same as 2012. Like, we had a lot of young guys. Like, we had a whole new linebacking core that year. Um, secondary was a little bit different. We had veteran play, but secondary was still – different even in the defensive line uh group um the only veterans we really had was me kelsey and um and jadavian but um but at the same time uh you know kelsey and jadavian were still young guys you know they still had some maturing to do within the game itself and i was like the more so seasoned vet so i was like the big brother in the room so i had to you know more so you know tether those guys to you know the standard of hey man let's keep it in this direction or whatever the case may be um, and then also we had a we had a new we was on a new direction of uh, Coach D Gattles that year as well. So it was a lot different for us that uh, year. But uh, that game that night, man, um, I remember that play exactly. Uh, we ran the zone pressure. Um, I dropped back into coverage. Um, they had a guy dragging across the field. I was like, he's gonna throw this ball and intercept it. But he saw me and he was like, Nah, I'm not throwing this ball. I'm just gonna run for the first down. So. He took off running. I was like, oh, well, I'm going to go make the tackle. But once I, you know, wrapped up and he was just exposed and vulnerable, I was like, man, I'm going to grab the ball and see if I can get it out. But once I had grabbed, had a good grasp of the football, I was like, oh, I'm taking this ball. And, you know, I ended up taking it. And then I was like, South Carolina football. And I was like, oh, snap, we got the football. And if they would have scored that, if they would have scored in that moment, that would have that would have put them back in the game. And, you know, we'd have, we, we, we'd probably would have ended up going into overtime or, you know, we probably wouldn't have had that chance to win five games in a row against Clemson. So with me doing that late in the game, that, that helped solidify the win for us. Yeah, no doubt. I was going to say, I remember it was uh, eight minutes left. They were driving. If they would have scored on that, it would have tied the game, actually, 24-24. So, I mean, that was, without a doubt, one of the biggest plays in that game. Um, Chaz, was Taj Boyd scared of you guys? I know Jadavion Clowney had the comment. I remember – I forgot to ask you about this, though. In 2011, he had the tweet calling the South Carolina defensive line average. I know that was, an, that was a night that uh, Melvin Ingram kind of went off on him. Jadavion Clowney, I know yourself. I mean, was, just simply put, was Taj Boyd scared of you guys? Oh, man. <laughs> I think <laughs> – I think uh... – a lot of uh, quarterbacks, they, you know, they feared us because, you know, they knew the type of intensity we played with. They knew that we were, we were great athletes, you know, like I came from high school playing running back. I was, a, you know, I was a good athlete, Jadavion, you know, he, uh, you know, good athlete coming out of high school, played running back in many positions. Uh, Melvin, same thing, you know, he played it all. Like he, he could, Melvin could literally play any position on the football field. Devin, you know, he was one of those guys. Um, but for the most part, man, I think that, you know, with him, I can't really necessarily say he feared us, but he knew he he knew that what we brought to the table when they when they stepped on the field with us. Um, but uh, I would say, um, like just playing against him, he he was aware of the talent that was around him, and he knew that hey, my offensive lineman ain't gonna be able to block these guys all night. No doubt. I guess I was going to ask, you know, obviously Taj Boy being one, but I mean, were there other quarterbacks that you guys played against that? Before you even got in the game, you knew that, like, we can get this guy and we can rattle him and we're going to just completely change the course of this game. Because, I mean, 
you know, obviously you look at Aaron Murray 2012, and I think oh, he even had, I think he even had a comment Aaron. after the game saying, who wouldn't be scared of this guy, you know, talking about Clowney and just talking about the whole D-line. But, I mean, right. can you name other quarterbacks where it's like you just knew, even before you stepped in the field, like we're going to be in this dude's head all night? Right. Aaron Murray, no doubt. Like, Aaron Murray, he was one of those guys, no doubt, that we knew for a fact, like, all right, we're going to go after this guy. You know, like anybody that had a big name, we was gunning for him. Like, you know, like the Aaron Murray, the Taj Boyd, um, who else was out there? Um, uh, the guy, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jonathan Franklin from Missouri. Um, we, we was just gunning for these guys. Like, we was like, man, we're not going to back down. We're going to go at them and let them know, hey, man, we're here. And you got to deal with us. And um, it, they they knew. They knew once they got on the field, and we always bathed them in the same things, and then that just that just triggered us more, and we played harder from that. That's what we fed off of, you know. And once once some guys stepped on that field and they understood what they was up against, man, they was like, man, these guys are crazy. Like, <laughs> we got to play. Like, these guys, are, they're, they're, they're for real, you know. So no it, was a, it, was always, it was always cool to, you know, to live in that moment. For sure. So 2014, you guys in the season, or 2013, in the 2013 season, in the uh, the New Year's Day bowl game beating Wisconsin, you're part of, Chaz, the winningest senior class in South Carolina football history with 42 total wins. I know you said it was bittersweet, obviously, the Clemson game. I know Wisconsin was probably bittersweet as well. I mean, just knowing it was your last time putting on the garnet and black. But, I mean, when you look back, and, again, you're recognized as you're part of the winningest senior class in South Carolina history, what does that mean to you? Oh, man, it's special, man. It's special. Um, like I said, I came from uh, a high school that we didn't – we really didn't win much until my senior year. Uh, my senior year, we went 9-1. and one. Um, But other than that, like, we didn't win much. So when I got to South Carolina, they were like – they was just just trying to turn that corner with Coach Ferry, and, um, and I was able to be a part of that because I remember we talked about that during recruiting. And um, they was like, man, you could be a part of something special here, you know. And I was able to be a captain that year, um, just be a leader of the defense and also be able to go out on top as, you know, a team that went 11 and two, three years in a row, you know. And um, it was it was special, man. It was a surreal moment. And, you know, that's just something that we can, you know, tell our kids about, you know, when they get older. For sure. So I want to jump to your NFL career, obviously. You're a guy that bounced around a little bit from Tampa Bay to Washington, Tennessee. Um, I know things probably didn't go exactly the way you wanted to, but, I mean, just kind of talk about your NFL experience in general when you look back on it. I mean, what do you take away from it? Oh, man. Uh, it was stressful, man. It was really stressful. Uh, it, it definitely turns into a job more so than – like college, I had fun. NFL, it was more so, hey, this is my livelihood. I walk into a building every day with a lot of uncertainties. Uh, I know preseason of college, uh, my last year, I was projected as a, a first-round pick in, 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 some, in, some, uh, in some viewers' eyes. And, uh, and then, you know, the season goes on, have a foot injury here, you know, not, not having the, the best season possible, you know, I, I myself, I think the person that really stood out that year on the defensive lineman was Kelsey Corals. Um, he had, I think he had 10 sacks that year, but, yeah. um, you know, uh, but for the most part, man, um, it just didn't go, it just didn't go so well. And um, I wasn't able to play in any uh, all-star games, but when I got, when I got to the NFL, um, when I got my opportunity, it was just me just trying to 
it's 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 basically a transition point. Um, and if you don't if you don't have it right then and there, especially coming in as a free agent or a later round pick, man, um, you only get so many chances. But if you're a first round, first or third round pick, you know they're gonna they're gonna develop you because they don't invest. You know they don't put a they don't invest a good penny in, into you. So it just only makes sense. Um, I know um, my first year, it, it was it was one of those moments where you know I was like, hey, do I have it? Do I want to still do it? And you know, I, I it was one of those things where I had to you know jump them jump them type of hurdles and then keep on moving. And then the, the following year, my second year, um, it was almost basically the same thing. But um, I, I had I had a more promising future with the Titans. But uh, once they went through the draft and got some younger guys in there, and and it it, it kind of you know things kind of changed a little bit. And uh, in the business of of the NFL is it's very grueling. Like a lot of people don't understand that. And um, once you're in there you could be one of the better guys on the team or one of the better guys at your position, but sometimes you got coaches that draft guys because they might've, you know, have a relationship with their coaches in college or, or they might've coached this guy or recruited this guy, um, you know, when they were, when they were like, when in high school, it's, it's all kind of different things that, that comes into play. So, um, you know, NFL is very political. People don't realize that it's very, very political. Like you have a lot of guys with tremendous talent that that are not even playing right now, and you got a lot of guys that are in the in the NFL that you just like, man. Like I'm trying to figure out how this guy stayed around for so many years, you know, whether it be practice squad or whether it be you know them being a core special teams player. But then you have guys that are really, you know, they're very special, they're, you know, special breed. But for the most part, man, it's it's a political league, and um. If you have the right people in your corner, sky's the limit. But if you don't, then you know it's it's kind of like one of those things where you might just fizzle out. And I think that what happened in my in my case, like I got there, had some promising moments, and then things just kind of fizzled, and I never was able to get back to that pinnacle. And I just had to move on. I just had to tell myself, hey man, there's more to life than football, and I can't play this game forever. So let's you know explore other options. For sure. So I want to move, obviously, your life after football, Chess. Something, I mean, this is something I literally just learned about you, and I mentioned earlier in the show. You are a published author, though, I believe. Correct me on the date, but I believe it was last year at some point you published a children's book, your first children's book titled My Dad and Me, Boys Day Out. Just kind of talk about that book. I know you dedicated it to, his, to your son and your father, um, but just talk about that book, My Dad and Me, Boys Day Out. Oh, man, it was a project that I was working on for about – a year and a half. Um, I was going through a tough time, you know, um, just, you know, being a new dad and um, just making the transition life after football and everything like that. And then also dealing with, you know, not having the best relationship with my son's mother. And um, I was, you know, I had some, I won't say bitterness, but I had, I had some, 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 I had to channel some anger inside of me. And me writing that book uh, helped that, you know, like me putting that book out and and just, you know, working on that project and and, and seeing it through. It was, it was, it it really, you know, it took that negative that I had within me and turned it into a positive. And that's something that I'm proud of, you know, and that's something that he can grow up one day and like, wow, like my dad, you know, 
did this for me and he did it for, you know, other men out there that, that are, you know, going through some of the similar situations that I experienced, you know, as a, you know, a young adult, but, um, it, it was, you know, that book is, it's, you know, it's special. And, um, hopefully, you know, I can be able to do more in the near future. For sure. Yeah. I know you, you had talked about in the article, I read your possibly writing a sequel. I know one guy you spoke to about, the uh, the entire process is Langston Moore and Preston Thorne, guys that have uh, Langston's been on this podcast before. They're obviously very well known for the Just a Chicken book, which I think they've done a great job with. But just kind of talk about just oh, yeah. what was uh what was some of the advice that those guys gave you when you were going through the process? Oh man, just you know, just just protecting yourself, you know, uh, making sure you got you know you you cross your t's and dot the i's, man, and uh, make sure you uh, got the right people on your side and when you're doing it because, you know, you got copyright in the fringes, you got people that, you know, might come out to get you and sue you. And it's like, it's, but you know, for me, like I, like I knew that this book was something that I wanted to do. It was special. Um, I wanted to get it out there for the world to see. I think I grabbed a lot of attention from a lot of different folks with it, um, which is great. Um, it's like for me, like a lot of people are like, hey man, how much did you make off the book? I'm like, I ain't, you know, for me, I didn't make nothing yet, like, like zero. So, you know, it was just me just putting out the book and getting it done. Um, it'd have been great, you know, to become a best-selling author, but you know that, you know, writing books, you know, Preston always told me um, uh, that, uh, no, Langston, not uh, Preston, but Langston, he told me, he was like, uh, man, look, you know, you write this book, man, it's going, you know, it's a, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So you got to run the marathon. Like, don't think that you're going to get rich quick by writing a book. And I was like, no, I don't think that, you know, I just think that it is something that I want to do. And, you know, if, if I, if it did take off in that manner, great. But if not, then, Hey, it's something I did. And then I can build on it and, and learn from that experience. Absolutely. No doubt. So I want to go back. You talked a little bit about, you know, you mentioned before what, I guess, what Will Muschamp is building, kind of his relationship with uh, him being a player's coach, if we, if you will. When you take a look at the program now, you know, what are your impressions of head coach Will Muschamp, kind of his entire staff, you know, how he's done the job he's done there so far and what he's building at South Carolina? I think he's doing a fine job, man. I, um, you look at his track record, man. He, uh, when he left Florida, I think, the only thing Florida was missing was offense. Like they had a great defense. They had great guys. They had good guys all over. They had great talent all across the board. I just think that they just couldn't get anything going on offense. Um, but you know, here at there at South Carolina, I think that he's on the right you know path. He's a man on the mission. Uh, I think he's going to get the job done. Um, when you, when you kind of compare him and Coach Spurrier, track record is almost similar. You know, Coach Spurrier didn't right out the gate have success there. You know, uh, he took over a program that was that was failing, you know, and um he had to, you know, come and rebuild it. And that's the same thing that Muschamp had to do. Uh, you know, like when Coach Furrier left, I think they only had what, three games they won three games that year, something like that. Mm. Um so, you know, he had to come in and 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 kinda, you know, revamp the program a little bit. Um I know a lot of people projected him to do this or that, you know, in certain years, I'm like, man, he's, he's a seed of those challenges. I know a year, uh, I want to say 2017 season, they um, projected South Carolina not even go to a bowl game. and He went to the Outback Bowl. So it's just one of those, you know, one of those things that that coach has potential to, you know, to do great things at that, that program. And I think that, 
you know, the athletic department are going to get it, give him all the necessary resources to do that. So I think he's on to something big there. Yeah, and, and, and I know he's done a lot better job as far as staying connected with alumni, former players, guys like yourself. Has that been something? Have you been able to stay connected to the program? I know you're a guy that we followed on social media, Instagram, Twitter, whatever, for a long time, and I, I always love your posts. I remember uh, last year you put the post simply fuck them for the Clemson game, which I, I think everybody mm-hmm. loved that. But uh, how much have you been able to stay in touch with the program, and have you been able to get back on campus? Do you, do you still catch any South Carolina games from time to time? Well, yeah, um, I try to at least uh, catch a game uh, once a year. But uh, for me, um, um, you know, like uh, like I was able to speak with Coach Muschamp some uh, uh, throughout the years. Um, I know um, I had a kid that I was coaching back in Savannah um, at, at this high school that uh, that's local. Uh, he was able to get – that was – South Carolina was one of the first major uh, Power 5 schools that offered him. And um, – Coach Muschamp came down. He asked me about the kid, and you know, I gave him, you know, my spiel on the kid, and and you know, just being able to connect there. But also, he knew that, hey, man, I remember you. I remember Chad Sutton when I had my time at Florida. Like we had the game plan for number ninety because we knew that we had to block this guy. Even you know, two thousand twelve and two thousand thirteen, like we had the you know game plan to where, hey, this guy can wreck this game if we don't do something about it. So let's, uh, you know, take care of that. But, um, you know, we, we had those talks. Um, but, um, yeah, um, it's, it's, it's good that he's welcome all the alumni back. I know when Coach Ferry was there, uh, sort of say, you had guys that would come around but not so much often. Like, they, they'll come around, but they wouldn't come around like the facilities like that. They'll more so – say, hey, man, what y'all doing tonight? We're going to come hang out or whatever the case may be. But they wouldn't come to practice or they wouldn't come to, like, every now and then they're coming on the sideline to hang out, uh, maybe for homecoming. It just all depends. But you got guys now that really, you know, that go back and, and you know, pay attention to what's going on with the program. No doubt. If you had to pick one, Chaz, what would you say was your favorite memory at South Carolina? Oh man, I would say my favorite memory is just playing in uh, <laughs> that Saturday night when we played Georgia. I think that was uh, October sixth, October fifth, two thousand twelve. That's my favorite memory ever, man. Like I'll never forget that. Like just being in that moment, that was like just the best thing ever for me. But also, right. you know, also walking across the stage and getting a degree that was that that's that that's something that you know that I can always. Oh, near and dear to my heart because I was the only kid out of my mama five that, you know, that did that. You know, hey, my son went to a big school and was able to, you know, graduate. No doubt. So, last question, Chaz, before I let you go. You played with some Gamecock legends. I consider you a Gamecock legend yourself. But, again, a ton of guys that South Carolina fans are familiar with. I I know you got to have some good stories from those years. What's maybe one of your favorite or maybe funniest stories that – whether it be from the defensive meeting room, on the field, off the field, what have you, that you can tell in the airwaves? Oh, man, I would say uh, being a roommate with uh, Reginald Bowen, uh, I remember waking up one morning and I was going to go to get breakfast and uh, I go outside and and my car is missing. So I go back inside. I'm like, I was like, Reggie, man, uh, somebody stole my car. And he just started smiling, like just laughing. I remember I played a prank on him while he was asleep the night before, like I had, uh, like he was sleeping, I smacked some lotion in his face. 
while he was sleeping. And so I leave to go get my car. He, he was like, man, I don't know, man. Maybe you left it at the stadium. So he gave me a hint that he took my car and put a part of it at the stadium. But when I got to the stadium, I walked over. It was way on the other side of the stadium. And uh, cause we stayed at Carolina Walk. So this Carol, if you knew the premiere with Carolina Walk, Carolina Walk is yeah. like right directly across the from the stadium. So um, I walk over there and I see my car. I open the car door and and like it smells like sour. Is everything in there is wet? Like he took buckets of water and just wet up all my seats. And it was it was the day I was traveling back home because the coach had gave us some time off. I think we had like a week off um in the middle of the summer and um I was just like man this is I was like why would this guy do this so like before I left I was like all right so I get back to the house I took his bed I wet his whole bed up he had like one of these memory foam beds so I took water ice water just put water all over the bed I flipped the bed over just tore up his whole room and uh not like and the shack was there so Shaq he videoed and put it on uh social media it was funny man but that was like one of the funniest moments, just just having them like there or whatnot. It was just crazy. <laughs> no doubt. Well, yeah, Chess, appreciate you taking the time, man. Again, let's do it again sometime. Certainly, if you uh, if you release another book, obviously, if you publish another book, let us know. Obviously, we'll do our best to promote it as well. But yeah, if you're ever on in Columbia on campus, or uh, maybe we can come down to Savannah and make some content. But other than that, appreciate you taking the time, man. It was a pleasure, and let's uh, let's definitely do it again sometime for sure. Love talking ball, and obviously, a lot of great memories to relive. Oh, yeah, most definitely, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me, man. Absolutely. So, for Chaz Sutton, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll catch you next week on another episode of the Spurs Up Show.